Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today we are continuing our study, Why Did Jonah Run? Unpacking the Book of Jonah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Odium and Church Crookham, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Hello all. Hello again. And uh, welcome to part two of our study through Jonah. Uh, part two of why did Jonah run? Um, I hope you're all sitting comfortably. <laughs> uh, and good afternoon if you're watching this live. Uh, can I just say, if you are watching this live, please do. If you have any questions or comments to make, please do put them in the live comment box. Um, I will uh, stop and answer questions that people have. I think that's one of the real benefits of doing this live is there can be some interaction. And if you're not watching this live, leave a comment anyway, because I can get back to it afterwards. So let's dive into part two. So quick recap of what we did on Wednesday. Um, Oh, and also just to say the handout for this part is also in the description. So again, uh, link in the description, look at the handout, uh, just gives you kind of an overview of what we're going to look at. So the recap for part one, part one, we looked at the historical context of Jonah. We saw how Jonah uh, is writing at a time or is around at a time where Israel is in kind of rampant idolatry and uh, the king is particularly wicked. He's known throughout Jewish history as being a really bad king. And it's 40 years before the northern kingdom where Jonah is, is destroyed. So we did all that stuff on Wednesday. So that's the historical context. Now, I'm sorry if this is going to uh, frustrate you, but it is necessary. But again, this is the last time I'm going to say this, but again, we're not actually going to be in the book of Jonah yet. We looked at the historical context in part one. This time we're going to look at the uh, covenantal context. And I'll explain what I mean by that, but it's more context. But it just means that when we do get to Jonah chapter one, we already know where we are. We're not going to be having to find out the context and going backwards. We want to read this uh, the same way that, so Jonah is writing as a, uh, as a uh, Jew steeped in his history. The original readers were people who were Jews steeped in their history. And we as Christians, as Bible students, should be people who are steeped in our history so that we know what we're reading about when we get there. So that's what we're going to do. Um, so as I say, links in the description for the handout, and please leave a comment if you have any questions or comments to make. So um, let's 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 start with it. So as I've already said, a really big deal is that Jonah is a prophet in Israel, and a, a real defining element of what it means to be not only an Israelite but to be a prophet in Israel is uh, the covenant that God made with Moses when they came out of Egypt that made them the nation of Israel. You know, when they're in um, when they're in Egypt in slavery, they are a people group, but they're not a nation. And when the covenant with Moses is made, they become uh, a nation. And, and every part of life of what it means to be an Israelite is defined in this covenant. So the covenant with Moses gets called the Mosaic covenant, just so you know what I'm talking about. 
the Mosaic Covenant defines life for what it means to be an Israelite, to be God's people. Every part of life is defined by this. Land boundaries, so you know where you live according to what tribe you're in because the law says where each tribe lives. So land boundaries are defined by this covenant. Your civil law, so uh, what crimes are punishable by death, what crimes are punishable by uh, what's called restitution, uh, what are the punishments for those things, what is illegal, what isn't illegal, that's all defined by the Mosaic law, but also religious worship, so the sacrifices are defined by the Mosaic covenant, Uh, priests, prophets, Everything about life in Israel is defined in the Mosaic Covenant. That's a really uh, significant thing for uh, for us to look at when we when we come to any prophet in the Bible, really. Um, but one of the major things that the Mosaic Covenant does is it sets apart the Jews from the rest of the world. So. They, they recognize that there's, you know, the, the Philistines are different from, let's say, the Babylonians. But ultimately, the only distinction is Jew or Gentile. Yeah, there's different kinds of Gentiles, but you're either one of us or you're not one of us. That's one of the big things that the Mosaic Covenant does. So you, you find in places like uh, Deuteronomy 4, it talks about uh, the law setting you apart from the nations so the nations uh, look in on Israel and see how different they are from everyone else. Uh, So that's uh, one of the big things that the Mosaic Covenant does. So ultimately, there's Jews and everyone else, Gentiles. This is a a really clear distinction in the Old Testament. Uh, And even in the the New Testament, a a big thing that changes in the New Testament is that Gentiles are included in the promises of God, but it's still a big thing that's talked about. You can't get through the New Testament without hearing lots of conversations about Jews and Gentiles and and what it means for them to be brought in. So that's a really big distinction we need to get. And in the Mosaic Covenant, a lot of people get this wrong. Gentiles were free to join Israel. That, That wasn't an issue. So there are stories in the Old Testament of Gentiles joining Israel. Ruth comes to Israel uh, Isaiah talks about being a light to the nation so that they may flow in. They're, they're not anti-outsiders coming in, but it's it's not the same thing as saying that um, we go out, if, if you see what I mean. They're free to join. Um, so, but, yeah, I mean, the point I'm making is that even though there is this distinction, people can still come in, but there is this distinction still. Anyway, that's just the first point to make. Um, And the other big thing about the Mosaic Covenant is that it comes, and this is going to be kind of the main thing that we're going to look at, the Mosaic Covenant comes with blessings for obedience to God and curses for idolatry, for disobedience against God. Um, So one of the reasons why life is so defined. So for instance, the harvest, a blessing of the covenant is you'll have a fruitful harvest. A curse of the covenant is that there'll be a famine. Um, and that's quite a common one. So Ezekiel uses the um, uh, the image of having a fruitful harvest in Ezekiel 37, 
when he talks about um, God changing his people's hearts and making them love him, he, he then says, and, and if this will produce a fruitful harvest because they're so related in the Mosaic Covenant, obedience and a good harvest. Um, so in the end of Deuteronomy, in fact, not even in the end of Deuteronomy, most of the way through Deuteronomy, you find blessings and curses of the covenant. And Jonah is a prophet, obviously, but that means that he knows his scriptures well. The, the prophets, you know, their life, um, their life's work was applying the scriptures. They would know the Mosaic covenant like the back of their hand. In, in fact, often the prophecies that they give aren't um, kind of a guess or a prediction. They are just saying what the law says will happen. So in um, 1 Kings 17, Elijah says, no rain will come on the land, that the heavens will be shut up. He's not just predicting it. He's saying it because he knows that in Deuteronomy 11, verse 16, it says, if you're unfaithful, the heavens will be shut up and no rain will come up. And Elijah is seeing unfaithfulness and idolatry. It's like if a mother were to say to a child, if you carry on, in five minutes time, you're going to be on the naughty step. They're not making a prediction about the future. They're not saying, I foresee you on the step in five, in five minutes. They're, they're saying, this is what happens when you act up. So often the prophets aren't foretelling, they're forthtelling. They're saying what will happen because God's law has said it will happen that way. So the prophets, it's their business to know the scriptures. And there's one particular covenant curse that we need to look at. So if we open to Deuteronomy 32, verses 15 to 23, and it says this, but uh, Jishurun, which, which just means Israel, so, so but Israel grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook, good, uh, fors- forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked his anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters, And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol devours the earth and its increase and sets on and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains i will heap disasters on on them i will spend my arrows on them so we have a curse there and you may have noticed that was in the past tense um but a common thing you find in prophecy is that prophecies are given in uh it sometimes gets called the prophetic tense. Sometimes it's present tense, saying what will happen from the perspective as though it has happened. 
it's giving the sense of surety. If you do this, this will most definitely happen. So Deuteronomy 32 isn't describing a past event. It's describing what will happen should they go after idols. Uh, It's giving it a curse. And there's one particular verse there to focus on, verse 21, um, which said, uh, let me just get it up again. It says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So what it's saying is, and and maybe by the end of this part, you might start to see where we're going with Jonah. And that's fine if, you, if you're not, because by part three, we're definitely, you know, open up chapter one and it'll be quite clear. But um, what it's saying is when Israel are unfaithful and idolatrous, their blessings will go elsewhere and judgment will come on them. So this is one of the curses of the covenant for unfaithfulness. Their blessings get given to someone else because they have provoked God to anger with a foreign God. So he will provoke them to jealousy with a foreign nation. This is what it says. And it says that it ultimately ends in their destruction. So after he says this, he says, I will throw you know destruction on them. So that the point of this curse is to provoke Israel to jealousy so that they see another nation being blessed and say, but there are blessings. We're, we're God's people. As well as that, so that's kind of a passive curse, if you like, because they're saying, oh, hang on a second, that's our blessing. But then it comes with it also an active curse so that God not only takes their blessings away from them, but then puts a curse on them. I mean, even just on a wider note, uh, judgment and salvation or judgment and blessings are always two sides of the same coin. So, so Noah would think of the flood as the time that God showed his amazing salvation. But the people around at Noah's time, not that they survived, but they would not have thought of the flood as a time of salvation. They would have thought of it as a time of judgment. Again, you know, the Red Sea crossing, the Israelites would say, the Red Sea, what an amazing time that God showed us his blessings and salvation. Egyptians would say, remember that time that the God of Israel destroyed us? So the same, uh, there's always the two sides of the same coin. I mean, even in, um, even in day-to-day life, we kind of recognize this. So, you know, if you have two hospitals and one of them has this expert doctor at them and the other one is uh, struggling to keep up with its demand and and that doctor says, they are exactly what I need, so I'm going to leave this hospital and go there. That's a blessing for the other hospital. Now they're doing really well. They've got the expert doctor. But the, the hospital that they've left is now worse off. So there's that two sides of the same coin, the judgment and the blessing. And that's kind of a a, a passive uh, curse, if you see what I mean, in terms of the doctor has left the hospital, but he's not like he's left the hospital and then drained it of its money. Um, it's kind of a passive. They've just left, a, he's left a hole there. Whereas the situation with Israel is that God takes away their blessings and then puts a curse on them for their unfaithfulness. So, I mean, just to, to clarify, this is most definitely... God is being patient with them, giving them chance after chance after chance, and they are the ones who are disobeying and bringing this on themselves. So uh, 
it's the same in the Old Testament. A prophet's role is to represent God to the people where they are. So by taking a prophet out of the place they are ministering to, like taking a doctor out of the hospital that they work at, they are, it's God making a statement of judgment on those people. They now don't have their prophets. Um, they're there for the people's help. So taking them away is a statement. But, but as I say, there's also an active judgment that follows it. So let's look at a couple of uh, key texts. So if you open up your Bibles to 1 Kings 17, where we're going to see this covenant curse in action. So uh, Elijah is around at the time of uh, King Ahab, and King Ahab later on becomes the uh, the byword for an evil king. So you find, uh, you know, later on it carries on saying they carried on in the sin of Ahab. So he becomes the wicked king par excellence. And uh, this is what it says in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here, as in Israel, and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the words of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Kerith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the, in the, uh, in the morning and in the evening, and he drank from the brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So we have a curse on Israel, no rain. The, because of their idolatry, the heavens have been shut up. And it said, then the word of the Lord came to him, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. So um, I'll just get my, my trusty map out again, like I did on Wednesday. Zarephath is way past the border of Israel. So... Here we have, this is what Israel was like at the time of Jonah. This is the border of Israel here. Zarephath is way up here into Sidon. So it's, it's way beyond the borders of Israel. Um, go to Zarephath and belong there. I've commanded a widow to feed you. So he, he rises. I mean, I'll, I won't read all of it. I'll condense it. He goes to Zarephath. Uh, he finds a widow there. She says, we've got no food. So Elijah uh, gives a blessing on her that he she will not wrap flour and oil and she keeps having food. So it said the jar of flour was not spent. Um, no, she went and did as Elijah said and she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent and neither did the jug of oil become empty. After this, so another story now, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill and his illness was no so severe that there was no breath left in him. Um, so... He now this woman's son is dying and he brings her back to life. He brings him back to life. I'm sorry. So what you have here is that as Israel is judged and they have no rain left, left no rain anymore. Now Elijah gets sent outside of the camp and goes to Zarephath, a Gentile colony where there wasn't any Jews there. And he blesses them in fulfillment with this curse in Deuteronomy. 
So, I mean, you'll see in the handout, I've done what the judgment was, why it happened, and what the blessing was elsewhere. So taken from Israel, sent to somewhere else. While Israel is judged, somewhere else receives blessing. And we're not going to do this one in depth because I'm aware of the time, but um, a very similar thing happens with Elisha in 2 Kings 5. So it's, it's much more subtle. So I've put on the handout major example in Elijah and minor example in Elisha. Uh, because the idolatry is not so severe at the time of Elisha and the judgment is not so severe and the blessing elsewhere is also not so severe. The more uh, prominent the blessing is elsewhere, the more um, prominent the judgment is back in Israel. So all that happens in Elisha is it just says in passing there's a famine. So, you know, that's a covenant curse. And uh, he goes to Syria and heals a, a man in the army of his leprosy but we're not going to go into that in depth. We are now, though, going to turn to Luke 4, where we find Jesus quoting both of these stories. And there's something we need to notice. So if we turn to Luke 4, it's probably a passage that a lot of us are familiar with. Um, But there's something in there where if you don't understand this Old Testament background, it's very confusing. So Luke 4 Verse 16, Jesus says this, or it says this, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. A wonderful passage that everyone's going to be very happy to hear. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, Now notice this next verse. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So they hear him say this, and they are a fan. Yeah, we're on board with all that. And then Jesus turns and says this. Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So Capernaum is Gentile land, it's outside of Israel. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth... I tell you that there were many widows in Israel at the time of Elijah, like we just looked at, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elisha was sent to, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the, town of, in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So he's saying it's not like there were no widows that Elijah could have helped in Israel, but God only sent him to the one outside of Israel. And then he says, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. God had plenty of lepers in the camp that he could have healed there, but no, they were under judgment, so he sent them, he sent Elisha to go heal a foreigner. Now listen to this. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill 
on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. So what has changed from where they're marvelling at him, speaking positively, to now they're trying to kill him? Well, because he has just quoted two stories which are on this uh, Deuteronomy 32 passage, they're under judgment, so somewhere else gets the blessing. Jesus is telling them, effectively, this is going out to the Gentiles. The gospel is going to the Gentiles, which means you are coming under judgment. He, he, you know, Jesus knows full well about their unfaithfulness that will come. Jesus knows that his own people are going to put him to death. He knows all these things. He's not guessing. He knows. So they then turn and kill him because effectively he is giving an indictment of judgment to them. He's saying judgment is coming on you. So they go from saying, what a wonderful guy, to let's kill him. How dare he say this? And this is going to the Gentiles. I don't think so. So they know the Old Testament background. And so Jesus is, is, is reflecting this judgment at home means salvation abroad, or uh, one man's salvation is another man's uh, judgment. Jesus knows, uh, they know this is what Jesus means. So if we look at 1 Kings 17, 2 Kings 5, Luke 4, and Deuteronomy 32, we see this truth that when Israel are under judgment, um, their blessings get sent elsewhere. Now, for many, well, maybe not many of you, maybe just me, but uh, some cogs might be clicking now with how this relates to Jonah. But we're not going to open up Jonah yet. We're going to do that next Wednesday. So hold tight. As I say, if you have any questions, send them my way. I'm more than happy to answer them. Um, it'd be great to talk about these things further. But this will be the last time that we don't actually open the book of Jonah, I promise. Next time, we'll be opening Jonah chapter one. So uh, I will hopefully see you next Wednesday. Thanks a lot, guys.